0: Welcome to Sensemaking. I'm Carla Joy Treadway. I'm an integrated life and business coach, the creator of The Sovereign, and a seasoned wellness practitioner. I believe in investigating the truth. I mean the whole truth. And I bring on sensemakers of all kinds who are brave enough to poke holes in commonly accepted narratives. The world is wild, my friends. And with censorship, cancel culture, and pretend uniformity of opinion, we need more sense-makers who are willing to be who they authentically are, bringing their real-life stories and evidence to the table. Sense-making will challenge how you feel about a variety of topics from health, politics, spirituality, culture, and more. I want to free you from thinking that you have to go along with the narratives, but mostly I hope you find yourself in the stories we share here, sparking the idea that, hey, I'm not so alone in my thinking, after all. Hey everybody, we're doing a live and podcast at the same time today. I'm bringing on with me Sarah Higdon. Sarah Higdon is with the Gays Against Groomers crew who are saving the world. I got to say, I love all the work that the Gays Against Groomers crew is doing, that the Trans Against Groomers crew is doing, and I thought it was really important to bring her on right now. So I'm just going to bring her on, hitting the live here. Just give it a second for her to pop on. Success. Hello. Yes. <laughs> Hello.
1: we turn that down.
0: <laughs> hey, Sarah. It's nice to meet you.
1: You too. You too. Thanks for having me. This, this is going to be good. I'm excited.
0: Um, I'm fangirling. I, I love your crew everything that the gays against groomers crew is doing the trans against groomers crew it's it's so important and i can't sing your praises more i i i wish everyone was aware of these accounts and could see it um where should we even start can you can you tell us i was just reading your bio um i didn't know that you were an army veteran Maybe for people that don't know Sarah, you could just tell us a a little bit of your backstory.
1: Yeah, so um, I transitioned in 2019, or I started transitioning in 2019. So, um, you know, I always knew, kind of around, you know, the age of four, that something was a little bit different than me. That there was always this question. I always thought that you know I wanted to know what it was like to be a girl and. I was more attracted to those types of things um but I grew up in the 90s and this wasn't really a thing um and so I hid that part of me you know until adulthood I I didn't come out until 2014 to the first person I ever came out to and yeah so I when I graduated college I joined the army I was a logistics officer in the army for seven and a half years um that, so I joined in about 2010, and about 2016 is when I kind of really started leaning in to figure out what this was that I've been kind of living with my whole life. Um, it kind of boiled over, and the dysphoria became a little bit too much, so I had to kind of, you know, come out and tell people, and or at least somebody, and so that's what I did. Um, and that led into me kind of exploring this more, um, and yeah, it took... Like I said, that was 2014 when I first came out. I came out to my family, um, you know, middle of 2018 and started, tar- started taking hormones in 2019. Um, and even before that, though, I saw this, especially on, like, Reddit and all that, I saw this notion that was becoming what we called then as trans trending to where it was starting to become cool to be trans or to, you know, and you could see, like, the non-binary people start showing up and kind of co-opting what even trans meant. It used to be like, you know, there was crossdressers and then transvestites and then transsexuals and transsexuals were the only ones that were actually considered trans uh, because you transitioned to the opposite gender, you know, of your sex. And, and so, I saw this trending happen, and I said in 2018 in a Reddit group, I got kicked out of the group for this, for saying that trans trending is real, and when the detransition rate skyrocketed, it's going to hurt actual trans people, uh, which I fear is what we're starting to see. We're starting to see a lot more detransitioners, um, and I, I don't blame them. I actually love them for speaking out because they give truth. Um, But if we had stopped it in 2018 and stopped this from becoming trendy, then, you know, maybe the backlash that we're seeing against trans people wouldn't be happening. But now a lot of the backlash is coming because trans activists are violent. Um, And so, yeah, in 2020, I started my YouTube channel. Um, Been kind of speaking out against this stuff, but also just regular political commentary um, on just a number of issues as well. And yeah, in the last year started to, you know,
2: travel the country, speak on these events um, and speak out against
1: the activism and just try to show, have another voice out there that's showing that we're all not like this monolith. Mm -hmm. Um, We all, you know, there's a lot of us and I actually think it's a majority of trans people don't agree with what these activists are are pushing
2: in our name. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Was the decision to tra- to transition an easy decision for you?
1: Not at all. Uh, not at all. Like, it was... Um, it was probably... I mean, so... It took me... What? 2015 to 2019 for four years, actually 2014 basically, it took me four years of just kind of exploring and trying to figure out who I was before I even made that decision. It mm-hmm. was, it was a long process of not just going out, like so when I got out of the army in 2017, I started, basically I was living every weekend um, as a woman, but living my name my daily life, um, as a man. And so just trying to figure that out, see where I felt more comfortable, most comfortable. Was this actually a transition? Was this a fetish? Was this, what, what is this? Is this something that I can just do, you know, live like this on weekends and then, you know, not actually transition or what is it? And at the end of the day, I came to, um, realize that it was, It was me. This is this was the right path for me. Um and it also came to research. Like, I'm I'm You know, I've I've been a conserv I've been I grew up conservative and now I'm a libertarian, a very libertarian. And so I've never really trusted the establishment, and I don't trust doctors. I've never trusted Mm -hmm. doctors even before twenty twenty. I think twenty twenty, you know, COVID just kind of confirmed
2: my lack of trust in doctors. Mm -hmm. Same. And so when I even before I got into this, I knew
1: all the side effects. I knew what the risks were. Well. More than I, you know, my doctor was even going to tell me. I went in there basically being like, "Well, isn't this the case? Isn't this the case?" And she, in some areas, she was reassuring me, and some areas, but she was—I was guiding the conversation. It wasn't just me relying on her to give me all this information, which I, what I think, so many people, again, pre-COVID, weren't doing. Mm-hmm. You know, doctors were just telling them this is what's good for you and you should take this and, and that's where a lot of people get into a lot of trouble.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and so now
1: that there's a lot of detransitioners out there um, telling their story I think that that is that, should, that gives people that gives the other side of the story that should give people that are like me who are out there researching this stuff pause to say you know it didn't work for these people so
2: maybe my doctor is not telling me exactly yeah. what I need to know
1: Maybe I need to really figure this out for myself.
0: Yeah, that that whole I I believe in the truth. I'm not an ideological person. I just wanna know facts that matter. And there's they're clearly censoring most of the information And, and that's why I asked, was it an easy decision? Because what's being painted by social media news and by educators is it's just an easy decision you just decide it's fun and then after you decide everything about your life will be easy and your problems will be solved and there's no consequences to transitioning or medication which is a lie and they're even censoring detransitioners and not allowing people to tell this other side of the story
1: yeah yeah and I've gotten in trouble with adulting transitioners because I I do think that you should be allowed to go in. I believe in an informed consent model when it comes to adults to be able to just go in. And and if if it's your body, your choice, you should be able to take what you want. Um, At the same time, I, I... I think a lot of these people were still manipulated by their doctors. Their doctors kind of pushed them into this. And because at the time when they transitioned, there weren't people speaking out. There there weren't people doing what they're doing now. And so it would be easy to manipulate somebody to thinking that this is the right decision because, again, you trusted your doctors. And so yeah. um, all the transitioner voices are so valuable in order to give that other side of the story. hmm
0: would it have served you to transition as a child? Would that have benefited you? Um, I, I mean, I would be lying to say that transitioning as a child wouldn't benefit you, just in terms of
1: passability. Mm. Um, I just don't trust, I, I I'm glad I didn't transition as a child, um, just because I don't think, you know, I didn't have, you know, children don't have the cognitive ability to be able to make these, these decisions. And so in terms of passability, especially for a male to female transsexual, um, it will help in that regard. Um, but that's not the end-all be-all. I mean, you can still be fully passable or or at least be comfortable in your transition. I think that's the, that's the key that we're, we're not getting to is that even if you're not fully passable, um attitude has a long way to go when it comes to, you know, passing. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you are, if you move through the world and you're just comfortable in yourself, people don't give you a second thought. Yeah. It's when you're, it's, it's when you're worried about yourself and how you do look and how you feel that people start to notice every little thing about you. And so I don't believe, um, yeah, that tr- children should be transitioning. But And that's the other thing is, Females, a young female, testosterone is the powerful drug, right? It's the overriding drug that can basically erase everything and cause all a lot of permanent damage. Mm-hmm. Um, where a young female taking testosterone, almost all the effects are irreversible. I mean, your your voice deepens, you get facial hair that can't be, you know, can't be. You have to get uh, laser and all that stuff to get rid of. Then you get masculine features. Whereas, if a young male t- took hormones, the the one thing that is permanent there is sterilization. You get ster- your after three months if you if you um, if you take estrogen for a young male. But I mean, you get a, you get you get breast growth. You get all this other stuff. But then again, it can all be overridden by taking testosterone again, unless you have surgeries. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that it's good or right. I mean, we shouldn't be sterilizing young young boys either, right? So yeah. I, I, I don't think that's, that's that's good. I mean, I had... This is, this is funny. I got a tattoo when I was a teenager. And it was on my leg. And I never thought I would have been transitioning. And so that tattoo was almost removed because I didn't want it there after
2: it wasn't a very feminine tattoo. So I'm like, I'm going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so it's one of those things that we I had this experience where I made a, a choice early in life that I probably wouldn't have made
0: if I went back you know but yeah. we let children are we're, we're letting children as a society do these permanent damages yeah yeah and they can they can't vote they can't drink they can't get a tattoo but oh you could get life-changing altering surgery and medication that will have permanent consequences no problem go ahead
2: yeah. Yeah, it's,
1: it's no issue. Um, well, it's interesting, too. I, when it comes to the tattoo stuff, um, where people use that as an argument, you have to be careful about the states, though, too.
2: Because mm-hmm.
0: there are
1: a lot of states in the country you can get a tattoo under 18 with parental permission. Okay. But tattoos are removable. Yeah. <laughs> they are removable through a... a you know, a long and expensive process. Um, but like in the state of Georgia, they were, our, you know, we, we had a fight on this bill to allow, uh, to ban um, cross-sex hormones and surgery for minors. And in the state of Georgia, that's not the case. You cannot even, you can't get a tattoo, even if you have parental permission in the state of Georgia. Um,
0: and yet they thought that it was okay to get a double mastectomy as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and people are denying that this is happening, uh, especially in Canada. We have state-controlled media, and people are so blind. Um, 69% they,
2: owned.
0: Did you see that? 69% Oh, I'm having so much fun with that. So much fun. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I know. Can- Canada's a completely different story, too, because the, <clears throat> the way that your
1: guys' healthcare system works. Um, and this is another thing that I... I, I One reason why I think it's important when you talk about, you know, one of the reasons why I'm against universal health care is because I I can go make the decision and pay out of pocket for the care that I want, Mm
2: -hmm. where
1: I completely understand in countries like Canada where people say, I don't want the government to pay for this. Like, yeah, I get that. I don't want the government to pay for that either. I don't want the government to pay for anybody's health care. But if you don't morally agree with something, why would you want the government to be
2: able to pay for that and yep. that's
1: that's one of the really one of the things that I I just wish more people would you know see that as a you know private care is private care for a reason in the u.s people are, can pay for their own mistakes you know you can pay for your own people are yep. allowed to make mistakes with their own body but it's their own body their own choice um, in places like Canada yeah your government's paying for people to harm themselves
0: yeah up to 75,000 for surgeries. Now, I, I feel like I would think about a decision a little more thoroughly if I had to pay for it myself as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I had surgery, it was expensive and it was a six months to a year wait before I could get it because they were, they were booked up. Like, there wasn't any slots for that long. So, there was a long time to think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you're paying for it and you know you're going to be paying for it for the rest of your life, You're probably going to think a little bit about
0: it. Yeah. Well, and you said something really important that basically from the time that you can remember, you've always felt this way. And just like I believe that people are born gay, I I think you're born trans. It's not something Mm -hmm. that you develop when you're 15 after watching TikTok. And this is a truth that people get really angry at me for addressing there, There is a social contagion. Now, if someone is trans, they deserve love and respect and nothing else, like full stop. But what we're yeah. seeing in the schools is a 4,000% increase in specifically girls transitioning. And they have not felt like that their whole life. It's happening now. They're watching their friends. They're doing it too. And then the argument, of course, is, well, people just feel more comfortable too. But if that were true, then you would be seeing those same increases across the board. You'd be seeing them in boys. You'd be seeing them in yeah. the elderly. You'd be seeing it everywhere. And we're just not. And and this is where it takes a lot of balls because just me saying this, and it means something about me, right? Well, that means that you're transphobic, which is, is just ridiculous. Or you're homophobic or you're transphobic or whatever the thing is what we have to acknowledge is what a massive decision this is that it does come with side effects and consequences from medically transitioning so of course we don't want to be willy-nilly about it right we want to make sure it it actually is going to serve people because it doesn't serve everyone and you know I've talked to Buck I've talked to Buck Angel I've talked to Matt Ray um and you know It was the right decision for them. Matt's grappling with it right now. Matt's struggling with it and and rethinking it. Oh, I froze there for a minute. But um, this is what's really scary to me. If anyone questions anything about it, then it means something about you. You're a hateful person. It squashes the argument. And people like yourself um, are being censored for just having common sense discussions
1: yeah well and that's the thing is i don't i'm glad to see us moving away from the term rapid onset gender dysphoria because i don't believe that that's actually gender dysphoria that is something else that is other mental health issues that you're going through that you're coping with by using you know
2: by by you know different expressions of your gender i think that's what's going on that's the
1: like the whole non-binary stuff a lot of it is looking like, you know, when I was in school, it was the goth kids that were, you know, overly expressive. And it's very much the same demographic of people, of of children, when you look at it. It's like the, it's not the, you know, the high school cheerleaders. It's not all these people that are transitioning. It's more the people that don't fit in or are socially awkward. And now we're finding that, you know, you know, autism is, severely underdiagnosed especially in young girls like all the diagnosis criteria was made for boys and so that they were never getting diagnosed with autism and you start to see that that ca- can cause social you know social um, awkwardness which then causes them to fixate on maybe it's just I'm, I'm a boy and that's why i don't fit in and so that's why you're seeing it a lot in young girls they're not treating the other comorbidities
2: mm-hmm. now it's interesting because yeah i said um like
1: I said, almost every transsexual that I know, you know, Buck Angel, Matt, Blair White, like almost all the transsexuals that I know knew something was different around the age of four. Like, it's a very common, um, uh,
2: you know, thing that you hear over and over. But what I always say is it's very
1: much a a squ- yeah, square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square.
2: Because mm-hmm. just because every transsexual knew something was different by the age of four doesn't mean that everybody that thinks something's different at the age of four is going to is is
1: going through this. In fact, we know from you know the Lisa Linden study in twenty eighteen that you know at least eighty percent will desist by the age of sixteen. Mm-hmm. Let alone like ninety percent by the age of nineteen. Um, and so we're pushing people into these categories and we're not treating the overall symptoms and it's crazy because you think this whole notion that,
2: that they try to use the suicidality about everything to say mm-hmm.
1: it, and this is how they manipulate parents especially is you, you could have a you, would you rather have a dead child or a trans child and it's just not the case and I would argue mm-hmm. that if somebody is suicidal I want to get them to a point where they're not suicidal before we put them onto cross-sex hormones that are going to change their lives forever, permanently. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that shows me that they are not strong enough mentally and emotionally to even take on this transition because this is not a cure. It is a band-aid. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of something that you can't cure gender dysphoria. You can only learn to cope with it as you can. So you have to, treat those other comorbidities before you can even think about this. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the problem that we see with the activists is that they push this as if this is going to cure all of your, your issues, your gender dysphoria. Yeah. And then when people find out that that's not the case, then it then it really harms their psyche. And then they, they go even further into the rabbit hole because they never okay. got the actual mental health that they needed before they transition. Um, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I speak out too is because, it's not like a glamorous life. I mean, why would you push somebody into this area that's, it's not, like, glamorous? Yeah. Um, some of us make it, some of us, we just deal with what we're going through, right? And they yeah. seem to push it to be like, this is something you should be proud of or celebrate it for. And it's it's not. Um, there was a clip of Billboard Chris a few weeks ago where, he said, well, you're living in this fantasy. And the person said, does this look like a fantasy to you? And that, that just nailed it. It's like, that's exactly what it is. It's not. It's not like some fantasy, but they push it as it. It's, it's so great to be doing this. So why would you choose to be so miserable, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when you speak out, and I, I wrote an op-ed in Human Events, I think it released, what, two weeks ago? Um, and what I started noticing with a lot of these activists at least recently is that from the images that I'm seeing a lot of the people in those videos do not appear to even be trans they seem to be allies who are speaking on our behalf or you know, speaking for us And what I, the whole thing that I used with that was talking about like the queer theory aspect of it where um, they tried it with CRT and BLM but what that required was to get black people to execute like their violence and their their um, you know their and, and buy into their ideology. Whereas with this, all they have to do is self-identify into a, a trans category, which they've co opted to be whatever, you know, whatever they want it to be. And so once they've co opted into that, they can push their ideology to the point where they're causing all this violence and everything like that in our name. And then once our names have been so tarnished and our reputation in society have been so tarnished, they just move on to whatever else had the next identity and we are left holding the bag. And so I think that's why it's important that all, the, you know, reasonable transsexuals start to speak out to show people when I'm, this is why I'm appreciative mm-hmm. of people like you that have people like me and Buck and, and all of us on because it shows that, like I said, we're not this monolith. Um, and we get called the same name. We get it transphobic. We <laughs> yeah. get called TERFs, We get called whatever you can think of, uh, just
2: for just for
1: speaking out against the mob. And most of the people that I get called tr- transphobic by are usually just like straight white liberal men.
0: <laughs> yeah, <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yep. Insane. They're unhinged. Yeah. Um. Tell me your thoughts on gender ideology, queer ideology, and its ties with Marxism, because I think we're very aligned here.
2: Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah. I mean, queer idea or yeah, gender ideology, is like a subsection of queer theory, which queer theory, like all critical theories, is based in postmodern neo Marxism. And so, I've always contended because of the postmodern aspect. Um, for your audience that may may not know, postmodernism. The easiest way to describe it is postmodernists don't believe that there's such thing as absolute truth which is an absolute statement on the self so it's kind of already counteract, <laughs> con- contradicts itself but as you started to see the Q which has by essence started to try to co-opt the T um, with the non-binary and creating the umbrella term it and make it transgender so that's when it went from transgender to transe- or from transsexual to transgender in like 2013 that was them kind of starting to co-opt um, the name and then, yeah, so the Q stands for queer, and it's representative of queer theorists it's an ideology which is literally trying to erase the originology in T because they don't actually believe in sexuality, they don't believe sexuality is a thing right. and so it's that's why you see so many you know, you see them going after especially lesbians that don't want to date trans people because they don't believe sexuality is a thing they believe that you should, you know um, dating, any- you should you should be open to dating anybody, and, and so that's the postmodern aspect of it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where it goes into neo Marxism, especially when it comes to children, is um, they are trying to they are using the force of the state to you know force parents to do what they want. If they don't do a parent parent that the state wants, then they will take your children. They will you know make your children wards of the state. They are basically trying to give children self-ownership of their bodies um we see this in a place like oregon who i i wrote this up for the Post Millennial last week where they have a bill that is allowing that would allow a 10 year old to seek an abortion without parental knowledge or consent they also in the same hearing said that they would that an eight-year-old could seek gender affirming care without parental knowledge or consent because of this and so they're basically allowing children to do whatever they want um without parental consent so giving them you know self self-ownership of, of their body of their self it's so dangerous and that is so once you make those children wards of the state they start to you can indoctrinate them to push this you know what's For the benefit of the greater good, which that is in in essence Marxism, and what we see is we see the queer theory, we see comprehensive sex education, we see all that being pushed under social emotional learning, which is an equity based system. They say it right on their Kessel says it right on their website. And anytime you see equity, it's basically cultural Marxism to be because they are taking from one group to give to another group that they see as being, you know, being oppressed. And all critical mm-hmm. theory is based on, and neo-Marxism is based on oppressor and oppressed. And so where, you, if you're in an oppressed class, there's nothing you can ever do. So the oppressed have, you know, to, there's nothing you can ever do to get out of that oppressed status. So the yeah. oppress, the oppressors have to, you have to take from the oppressors to get to the oppressed. Um, now there is a little bit of diff- So what people don't connect the dots to, and this is why people are like, people will start fighting you on this isn't Marxism and all that, is because neo-Marxism and cultural Marxism, whichever one you want to call it, they are not technically what Marx wrote, right? So, mm-hmm. um, Marx believed in one society, absence of a government, um, where everybody works towards the greater good neo-marxism still believes in a class a class society to where you have the working there the elites and then the working class and so you can kind of see that division when you look at even go back to COVID, when you saw the elites were doing whatever they wanted but they were forcing these uh these you know draconian rules on you as the, as their as their people that's their system of neo-Marxism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, as well as Marxism, really, as its at its core, is a is a political government based system. It doesn't play into you know cultural norms and stuff like that, where cultural Marxism adds in all the classes of society, all the um, what is it um, identity politics, and all of that comes into play when it comes to something like cultural Marxism, where technically. Marxism is very specific when it comes to everybody being the same, everybody being equal, and all working towards the greater good. So there is a little bit of difference, and it's, and it's good to note that, especially when you're you know, arguing with people that would say, this isn't Marxism, and they, mm-hmm. and they know kind of what Marx meant, but they don't understand the aspects of cultural Marxism, and neo-Marxism, and, mm-hmm. and even postmodernism.
0: Or history. Yeah, <laughs> or, exactly. <laughs> or history. That that well, always I, fuels me.
1: I, I, I've actually done some stuff on, on Marxism as a whole, and I created a, a different type of uh, political compass chart. And mm-hmm. so it's actually like a bell curve when you actually look at how it's set up. It's not a left and right skew. Yep. And it's interesting because it's the bell curve, but at the far left you have Stalinism and commun- or Marxism part one. And basically yep. that is where we've never gotten past that point because... Once a government gains so much power, what they have to do is either get everybody to go on board with their ideology, like you yeah. have to absolutely be on board with everybody working for the greater good, or they have to kill you. And yep. that's where we've seen it get to, the point where they start to kill people. And then once you can get to that, the government is actually supposed to completely dissolve into what I call Marxism part two, the final stage of Marxism. The government is supposed to actually dissolve. But no government mm-hmm. in the right mind would ever give up power once they've once they've got it to that point, because then they think that they are the ones that are gonna, you know, keep this all this what they created in line. Yep. Which is actually why you see like Antifa and those that when they had like the autonomous zone in Portland, you saw them like lauding over the the French Revolution, and because where they, you know. They had the guillotine and stuff out there where they actually executed politicians because they didn't want to go. They didn't want to give up that power that they had seated. And so, it's interesting when you when you when you see all that, and then you see that like those in Antifa, I believe that they know what the end state of Marxism is. They understand it fully, which I so I think that, you know society needs to understand why they do what they do. I don't think they understand that that's. They're not. They don't like government, but
0: they use government to their to to achieve their means yep. before they have to execute government, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And one, the end goal is is destruction and dismantling of all systems, government, family, all, all of the things. But I, I get a kick out of the anti-fascists because they think fascism is only on the right, but when you look at the political spectrum and what fascism actually is, it can go on the left and right. It's it's yeah. government interacting with media, controlling speech. That's the left right now. It's only the Great. left, so you have the anti-fascists screaming at everybody, trying to control speech, language, thought. They are pressuring government. They are the fascists right now, which is what I get a kick out of. Yeah,
1: Stalinism and Nazism are the same side, or are different sides of the same coin. Yeah, I mean, they they are not much different, you know. People say that Stalin was the original anti-fascist because he was against Hitler, yet he killed more people than... He he, he murdered more of his own people than Hitler actually did over the course of the time. Hitler just chose one specific group to start murdering and made it, you know, and then started invading other countries.
0: Yep. But they have their their T-shirts on with Stalin and Che Guevara, and I have no idea. They never read a history book.
1: Che was was very homophobic, which is amazing to me when you actually look at it. He bragged about executing gays. Yep. It was... Yep. They don't, it's like they don't understand history, or they do,
0: um, and they think that you don't understand history. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, tell me, tell me more about how trans activism, gender ideology, how is that hurting the trans community right now?
1: Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's, it, um, like I said in my op-ed, and I was talking about a little bit earlier, is they have created such a perception of what trans people are. And you know, it's it's a very small portion, a percent of the of the community, but what we know is that a very small percent and I I, I like to say it's like eight percent of the community that eight percent of any population the extreme of any population can shape the narrative around or shape the perception of that entire group. I think with the internet it's less than that. I think, you know, less than 8%, probably like 1% to 5% of the population is
2: shaping the entire narrative because the information gets out there so much. Mm-hmm. Media,
1: it, it, you know, especially like right-wing media will publish so much of what's going on and it's not anything to their detriment. It's they're publishing the news. Um, but they won't, but it's, it's, the outrage that creates that draws people in—it's the
2: mm-hmm.
1: outrage that is actually news. You know, there's a perception gap with with everything we see in media these days, and so they are creating this perception that we're all these crazy activists. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, they're you know they created an issue where there never was any. I actually said mm-hmm. in 2016, it's. 2016, where the trans thing kind of really blew up on the scene, was when Charlotte, North Carolina, created a, you know, created a solution to to an issue that there was never a problem, and that was the first bathroom bill. You know, trans people have been using the bathroom that they
2: present as for ever, mm-hmm. and Charlotte, North Carolina, said basically codified
1: that into law and said you. They told businesses that they have to allow anybody who self id as a certain, you know, gender into that bathroom. And then the state of North Carolina took that bait and and passed it, you know, passed it,
0: um, the opposite, and passed the ban. And then that ban was eventually, uh, reversed. But... People have selective... Sorry. People have (laughs) selective memory. That's a really good point. Um, before this explosion of wokeness and critical theory... I remember living back then, no, I'm not trans, no, I'm not black. Things were not as divided and polarized as tribal. No. no. People forget I think, I think that. a lot
1: of it has to do with social media. Social media, yeah. this stuff gets published and it gets put out there so much. We're mm-hmm. just inundated every day with so much um, of the negative, and it could fill your whole news feed, to mm-hmm. where... Well I actually looked this up yesterday. It was interesting because you know Twitter in the u s they estimate about seventy nine million users in the u s are are or seventy nine million people in the u s are on twitter the u s has a population of over three hundred and thirty million it's like twenty five percent it's the, it's the population of California Texas and maybe Rhode Island right like or New York city um and So when you think about how small that is, like that Mm -hmm. is the that is the world that we are living, most of our lens and getting all of our information and creating perceptions about certain groups of people, and especially when it comes to trans people, transsexuals, the vast majority of transsexuals, probably I'm going to say probably eighty to ninety percent, probably more like ninety percent, are not even on the internet. You know, Mm -hmm. they because they live these stealth lives that they've
2: lived forever and nobody people in their daily lives might not even know that they transitioned,
1: you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and so they're not speaking out as much because why would, why would they? That's, that's that's one of the issues that I have is why would you speak out if you're getting hate from the left, you're getting hate from the right. And so by speaking out, why you, you, it's really a lose lose. So there's, I think there's a lot of, you know, trans people that are just kind of, just waiting it out, just waiting for this, this to pass and, and not, you know, and not sticking their necks out. And, and it's hard because then if people find out that they're trans, then they start having to deal with it. But until then, they don't have to deal with it, um, which is another reason why it was so convenient for leftists to use the trans community as their shield. Uh, when it comes to all this is because they know that half the population isn't going to speak out because they don't they're not going to because if they start getting hate then then uh, you know they're living a comfortable life as it is right now so they don't they don't have to it is funny because you know they're they're if you remember back in the 90s like maury had like shows where to guess which person was born a man right Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) i remember
1: <laughs> and so it was like, and you couldn't tell, like yeah. that is where I still think like the vast majority of the, um, of the trans community is at where you can't, yeah. most people don't know you, you would literally walk them, you know, you would be like, wait, which one was, bo- which, which person was born, born a man. Yeah. Whereas like leftist activists, you know them, they want you to know that they're trans because yeah. that's their entire identity. Yeah. Um, and so because the negative, though, gets so much attention, it's hard um, to get, you know, the focus on, you know, the trans people that are speaking out, like me, Blair, mm-hmm. and Buck, and, and all of us who were out here because just as a small minority in, in this big population to try to, you know, counteract that. But we don't get clicks as much because we're not as controversial. We don't you know, we're not as controversial as, you know, seeing things burning in the street. Yeah. And so we kinda even get drowned out because there's just not enough of us to be out right. here to, to really change the the narrative. So again, okay. getting platformed up, like doing shows like yours and others, it's it's been that's what's going to help, I think, drive the narrative home, which is is we we have more and more trans people come out every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's good to see and that's, what's, that's what that's ultimately what's gonna I think turn things around. Um, and I mean Blair and myself, I mean a few of us we've done shows like Timcast and I've been on the blaze twice and but that's what's going to move the needle. You know, thankfully conservative media will platform us. Um, and show our side of the story, show that we're not always these monoliths. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Actually, my op-ed was prompted. Libby Evans texted me and said, hey, after a tweet I had, and said, hey, you want to write this up uh, for human events? And, and of course I said yes, because I could, I, I, and I wrote it up the next morning before I started, uh
2: you know, writing articles for her. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and, and what you guys are doing at Gaze Against Groomers is identifying particular behaviors that are unacceptable. So, and this is why it was relevant that we talked about Marxism. Instead of, like, the root of all great spiritual teachings is that we are equal. We should love and treat each other the same. But what Marxism does is say, actually, there's a hierarchy of privilege. Now, under that hierarchy of privilege, not only have you now elevated your status, which is why a lot of kids, I believe, are moving towards this Uh, moving towards this lifestyle. What we're also seeing in, in the trans activism is this idea that if you belong to a certain identity status, you are free from criticism of any behavior. And what we're trying to do as reasonable people is say, no, no, no. No one is free from criticism of particular behavior. So what you guys at Gays Against Groomers are doing is saying, There is, we should love and respect people that are trans and gay, and also, you can't go and strip in front of children. That's not cool. Can you guys not do that? But that's what's getting attacked, because how dare you? And we have to, as a society, left or right, agree on a base level of acceptable behavior. Call it morality, just call it societal expectations. Like, no. Just, no, that's just not okay. Tell, um how did you get involved with Gays Against Groomers?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so, um, well, so, yeah, Jamie founded Gays
2: Against Groomers, what, last June during Pride because it was
1: crazy during Pride last, last year. And I know she founded it because we were seeing so much stuff done in the community, and like you said, a lot of times
2: what's happening is if you're part of this minority group, you know, you
1: can't be criticized for anything. And even, you know, your, all of your actions are basically justified because you're in this minority group, no matter how vile, I mean, we saw
2: that with the shooting in Tennessee, people were justifying that shooting Mm -hmm. because she was supposedly trans.
1: Um, And so, yeah, I, Jamie founded it. I had seen I've been watching everybody else, I'd seen it start blowing up. Um, I knew Jamie I met Jamie about what maybe six to eight months before the September before that, so um at a an outspoken Pride event, so Outspoken USA, which I am an ambassador for as well. Um and I I met her there and we we hit off. We became friends. And so I had somebody reach out to me in Louisiana who was like, "Hey, my boss is getting sued because of this library by the Library of Association for it was like um, he." They were basically saying that they were just trying to get these books moved from the children's section to the adult section, to where it wasn't in the view of children. And if adults wanted to check them out for their children, that's fine. But not not even removing them from the library. But the library association was calling it censorship, and the person had, you know was calling them a groomer because they wanted these books around children, and they were all the books. And I did a, I did up a reel and said, "This is this is." And, um, if we don't, you know, and this is what's happening. And I, and I, and I sent that reel over to Jamie and that's, Jamie posted it. And that was kind of my first jumping into the gays against groomers organization. Um, mm-hmm. and then continue to do, do reels and stuff like that, because it, it is important. It's important that the people that are within those groups are the ones that are speaking out of against this stuff because I like again, it's like you get attacked and if you're not part of that group, you get attacked because those people are untouchable basically. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're in that group, if you're fighting that group and you're part of that group, then it's much more powerful. It's a lot harder for people to call you, you know, homophobic or transphobic or anything like that. If you are part of that group and you're speaking out against it, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those reasons why I think that that group is, the group is so powerful. It's one of the reasons why we tried to start the organization trans against screamers is because, you know, the voice, those voices are speaking against their own community. So, so to speak, right. It's to show that we're not this monolith and really to try to dampen down the perceptions that it's not, you know, we all don't,
0: you know, feel the the same way. I'm actually going to go plug my phone in. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Yeah well we 're going to witness such a pendulum swing from this because the the activists, which is what we see online they 're they 're unhinged they want these medical surgeries for young children they want pornographic material in the classroom they want men being able to strip in front of children well mm-hmm. and they don 't represent you they don 't represent you, however they are the loudest and what 's going to happen in my fear. Is that we're going to end up in a time and place where the rights that you deserve to have as an adult are stripped away. Like being able to access gender affirmative care, being able to access your surgeries because this movement are like they, they're unhinged. And when I, I, I reached out to you right after Tennessee, I was so disturbed that week for a number of reasons. You you had someone that was mentally unstable, they went into a school and they murdered someone's children. They murdered little Christian children. And it's not about... The trans community didn't do that. A sick and twisted individual did that. And we needed to look at it just as that. Now, we know if it was flipped with any other group, then it would have been painted as a hate crime. But we didn't see that. But that's not even the point. How that was handled was so disturbing. How Madonna and all these celebrities, how everyone jumped in to defend the shooter. And they made it a trans thing. That was so disturbing. And it, what a slap in the face to the families whose children just got murdered. I mean, it's how that was handled is bad for everyone. It was bad for the families. It was bad. I think, bad for the trans community. Like, why would they... I'm just speaking with you now as such a lovely human being, as such a reasonable human being, and I know that you are not this murderous activist. And that's what they're doing. It was the wrong move to jump in and and make that a trans issue and, and justify murder in, in any way, shape, or yeah. form.
1: Yeah, and that's what's interesting because at that point, at that time, they were like, they were, they, they were jumping in and saying, they were justifying it by saying, it's so interesting that it was against, you know, Christians in Tennessee where they've had all these bills that are being passed. So basically they were putting the blame on the politicians for passing, you know, reasonable legislation to protect children, mm-hmm. um, and taking the onus off of the actual shooter. Yep. Like that was so disgusting to watch and see. Um, and yeah it it really we don't even know if it had to do with this person being trans or not but you're right because it happened it was then it started to be you know we need to take away trans people's guns and that's what that ended up doing because when we saw that start happening the right start saying stuff like that Mm -hmm. then it started almost giving its own credence to trans activist narrative that there's this genocide happening against trans people which isn't true
2: but what's the first thing that happens Mm -hmm. before they you know genocide a group of people they take their their weapons away and Mm -hmm.
1: so that was that was really there was a lot that happened on both sides during that whole thing that was kind of like wait a second no, 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 we can't, we don't justify, you know, taking away other people's rights because, again, the action of one person. Because you wouldn't do that if it was, you, you didn't do that when it came to, you know, Dylan Roop or something like that. You didn't use his murder to say, we need to take away all the guns from white nationalists. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't make sense. And so there was just the, the backlash from both sides was taking It took the onus off of that person. Because even the right, like saying, this person, you know, when you take the guns from the mentally ill or when you take guns from trans people, that took the onus off the shooter, too, to say it's it's not the shooter's fault that they didn't get help for their mental illness. Like, that's basically what Mm -hmm. they were saying. It's not the shooter's fault. They're mentally ill. That's why they did it. And so both sides need to learn, you know, how their narrative kind of affects and changes stuff. Um, but you're right. I think what we're seeing is a lot of this is starting to even have backlash against adults. I don't know if you saw my interview with Libby Emmons a couple weeks ago. I actually posted, I think the reel I posted on here is where she even said that. She goes, I I'm, I, have a, I fear that this is going to start to affect trans adults. And then last week we saw it happen in Missouri where the Missouri attorney general went a little bit too far, in my opinion, where he they're saying even for adults, you have to wait three years as an adult before you can even start taking, you know, cross-sex hormones. Mm. And and that to me is taking away, you know, bodily auto- autonomy for adults. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I think that went too far. I think we, we should be worried about protecting children. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, allow, you know, at least, you know, we need more lawsuits when it comes to,
2: you know, the doctors that are manipulating patients
1: going into this. I think, I think lawsuits are going to have a lot more impact than legislation, but legislation is still important, especially to protect children.
0: Yep, 100%. You know, I, I used to say that we shouldn't be teaching gender ideology in school. And I'm starting to change that to say we actually just need more information because if you're going to teach it, that's fine. But teach about everything that's happening because what they're doing right now is not it's people are not informed. They're not telling all the facts. And if they if they honestly gave people all the facts, I think what we'd see is much more uh, we'd see a longer thinking process. And people Mm -hmm. transitioning, you'd see people transitioning that genuinely needed the help. We would see therapists being able to actually give therapy instead of in Canada, we have our bullshit affirmation law. So you can only affirm.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: And that's that's part of the problem is that um, I, I hear it from therapists is they feel like they're being handcuffed now or they can't actually do their jobs, even if they are a good therapist and they're not one of these activist therapists. They're not. They're they're concerned that it's going to be called a conversion therapy if they if they even push back on on this stuff. So they, I think a lot of them, if they don't believe in that, they're they're not even taking patients you know who are coming to them with gender dysphoria. They're like, nope, not mm-hmm. touching that. And so they're not actually getting the help from the good therapist that they should be getting the help from, right? Yeah. Um,
2: I don't. You know, um, I forget what, what
1: was your first first part
0: of what I've lost it, too. I'm, I'm so ADD. But here, here's a question for you. I'm very conspiratorial, especially after the last three years. Do you think what's happening is just a freak accident, a side effect of social media? Is there an agenda? What are your thoughts on what's materializing here?
1: No, I think there is an agenda. I mean, this is where I put on a, on a tinfoil hat, too. Now, um, So this is actually what, this is interesting because this is what I was going to say. No, because um, part of the reason why me and Chloe were going up to Pennsylvania to speak, so me and Chloe Cole spoke in Pennsylvania last week, and part of the way that that came about was because the school in uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania, um, one of the teachers bragged about them teaching queer theory, or learning queer theory from a radical activist um, so that they could go and teach it to five-year-olds. It was an elementary school principal that was bragging about learning all about gender is what they said. Um, and so the whole point was to get us up there and to give the other side of the story. Like, we, that we proposed to the school board, since they did that, to bring me and Chloe in to give the other side of the story. Like you said, mm-hmm. give more information. Um, and they, and their, equity, their chief equity advisor said just said no thanks, or no thanks at this time. And so we're like, okay, so you just want to push one side of the story. And that goes, I think that's what this is about. It's like, they won't allow the other side of the story to mm-hmm. be told. So I think that there is a concerted effort. Same point in time, one of the reasons why I speak out, and I think part of my mission in traveling the country and speaking to different, like all the different parent organizations that will have me across the country, is to give more information to parents. I think right now what we're seeing is I think the vast majority of people are very well-intentioned. I think the parents that are transitioning their kids, there are some of the trans housing moms um, and dads, but I think the vast majority of them are just... They're, they're being manipulated and they're not informed and so part of, part of what we're doing and part of what I see as my mission is to give more information to be so more public so that we are educating the, the population as to what's actually happening especially mm-hmm. in the medical industry so that they can have time to think about it um, but those at the top and I don't know if it's coming from if it's coming from government Um, but I think it's coming directly from the world economic forum. As Mm -hmm. we know, the great reset is pushing a lot of these Marxist ideologies. Um, I don't know if I can say this on Instagram, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) we know the Gates foundation and the Zuckerberg foundation have their hands tied all up in SEL. And they also had their hands tied into the Wuhan Institute of virology. Um, And they also had their hands tied in with shutting the country down and then pushing these vaccines. It's all tied together. Mm -hmm. And so you shut the country down and you push social emotional learning to kids because they're not doing well emotionally in school. You start pushing queer theory and comprehensive sexual sex education to kids as a part of SEL. It's all tied together. And I think it's coming from the top. I think it's coming from a very select few, um, and the vast majority of the activists and stuff like that are basically they're useful idiots to a lot of people at the top, and that's that's where most of the activists come in. They think they think that they're doing something right because they've been emotionally they've been emotionally manipulated by those in power to say this is how it's you know how how you deal with that stuff and so that they are so emotionally invested that they are that they go out there and they they, they had this you know this cause this special cause that it gives them purpose because they had no other purpose other than to be fighting some type of activism and so I, I i think that it is a conservative effort that's going on and i don't like i said i don't think it's even it has nothing to do with trans people. They're just using us, just like they use black people in BLM and how they use illegal immigrants for other pur- pop, you know purposes uh, to virtue signal. And
2: they're just using our name right now to you know push these ideas and to say
1: it, you're you're harming the trans community, even though the, most of the activists that you see are not even part of the LGBT or T community. <laughs> yeah,
0: a hundred percent. Like if they actually cared about you, then. You know, we would be giving people informed consent. We would be making sure that children didn't transition before that they were ready. We would have actual therapy. But the truth is they're making money. It's the exact same thing with the schmack scenes. Um, They don't actually care about people. Everything they're doing is actively harming people. And they're doing it at such a pace like that should just be red flags all, all over the place. And I'm glad you mentioned SEL because there's a lot of teachers that are currently doing SEL and they're like, What's wrong with it? It just means that we're teaching kids social emotional techniques to self-regulate. But when you actually look at what it is, where it comes from, how it's being used, they're data mining our children. They're using transformational mind manipulation techniques, the same that they the same kind that they use at like the Pentagon to control children's way of thinking now you have educators not therapists doing social emotional mind manipulation of children for the Mm -hmm. purpose of data mining them so that they can become good little global citizens of the new economy
2: yeah and
1: it's not even just that and i actually i wrote another op-ed not too long ago about this about sel and um on human events um and social emotional learning is essential it's a social credit score plus, right? So they they use like different tactics to control just like you said, like their behavior. Not just like their social their emotional behavior, but you know, whether they're being good kids or bad kids and, and, and stuff like that. They're also in these um, in after different lessons they're asking, well what did your parents say about this? So they're trying to data mine what how parents feel about like their kids and everything like that mm-hmm. and then um but then again i mentioned the uh chan zuckerberg foundation they have created an app called panorama ed which is basically if you saw the black mirror episode where they're walking around and it's like you
2: it's like a yelp score like mm-hmm. everybody has like their score and they hear yelping people every day mm-hmm that's what this is teachers and
1: administrators walk around and they have this app on their phone and if there's like a a fight or like any incident like the student talks back they can get like a down vote like a down
2: downgrade
1: and so that is a social credit score that will follow them through school you know if you have a a good credit score you'll probably get like pizza parties and stuff like that and it's like and they'll tie stuff to that score and so that is how they will kind of – and, and they, they eventually will push that into getting into college and getting into a good college. And then the Ivy Leagues, w- you know, are pushing DEI. So it's mm-hmm. like DEI, then ESG. And I just learned about the CEI score last week when it came to, like, the Dome Albany Bud Light campaign, CEI. I don't know that one. It stands for, but it's, it's this, it's a, it's one score that deals with how well you are represented, represented by the LGBT community. Um, and it's run and it's controlled. Your score is controlled by the Human Rights Council, HRC. And so they had, and so if that score drops, then like BlackRock and Vanguard and everything like that, your ESG score starts to drop. And so they can basically pull all their financing from your organization make your stock tank and you'll go out of business
2: if you don't play by the rules of these massive investment firms. That because, didn't work out for so so Bud. And so HRC <laughs> holds a lot of power mm-hmm. when it comes to massive um,
1: corporations, which that's why, like, the whole Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light stuff happened, and it's like, to them – one advertisement and a little bit of drop in their stock, where their stock went, is actually almost back to where it was already. That mm. the boycotts don't hurt nearly as much as if Vanguard or BlackRock pull out their finance is from from that. That's
0: <laughs> that terrifying because they lost yeah. five billion. I thought that they were done. So the fact that that's the kind of pressure that's going to be on companies to conform. Yeah. That, wow, it was worth... Because lo- none of that made sense to me. I'm in marketing. My mm-hmm. my husband is a redneck. He only drinks Bud. He did only drink Bud. Um And now he won't. Because he was mm-hmm. mad at this like agenda that's being pushed. But now that makes yeah. sense. Because no one's stupid in marketing at Budweiser. They know who their target no. audience is. They know who their target market yeah. is. Well, and that's the thing is, a lot of these companies... And this is why... This is why I saw this with Alta I actually checked the Alta stock like a month after it happened. Is um, their stock it dropped quite a bit over the over the, like the week after everything happened, and then it skyrocketed after that. Wow! Like it, it, so
1: what they're, what their what the idea is is that you, and this is this even if it wasn't ESG, the idea is to cause this controversy you'll lose some of your market share but then the market share that you gain by possibly you know people in that community that you're targeting that will start to bring your stock back up and then the people that boycotted will forget about the boycott because we had the you know the memory of a goldfish they'll forget about it in a month and then they'll start buying it again and then they'll be good to go you know it's it's that's that's. It's always kind of been the old adage when it comes to marketing. You know, no publicity is bad publicity because people have short short memories. We don't. We forget about why we were mad in the first place. But that's why you're seeing people hmm. like Dylan Mulvaney show up. But it's only the big corporations now. I put out a post at that time. I was like, I don't really shop at these big corporations, anyways. When it comes to like alcohol, I like to drink local, like local beers, anyways and that's the thing with, that, with beer is microbreweries are everywhere. Like, they're the biggest thing. So Bud Light and Budweiser are really fighting for market share. They're trying to, you know, grab different audiences where I think the problem with like Ulta and Sephora and stuff like that, if they go woke, they're like the only company that people can really buy makeup you know, from. So it's like, it's, like, who do you go to? It's, like, mm-hmm. all these companies are kind of tied in. But even, like, with the Nike and, like, with Nike, I don't wear, I don't really, I have a couple things from, like, Under Armour, but, and a couple things from Nike. But I'm, like, I wear Born Primitive. I wear a Atletica, Athletica, which my post was Lexco Athletica because mm-hmm. they have ladies that have gun holsters in
0: them. I saw so that. Can, I love can that. You carry
1: your firearm. <laughs> You know, on
0: a run and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. they're actually a very conservative um, organization. So it's like I look for smaller brands, and no matter what it is, anyways, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's the way that. Uh, it, it's sad that people think. I mean, these big
1: corporations are going to start losing more and more market share as alternative companies start to show up. Mm-hmm. It just. And I, I think that people should start using utilizing you know smaller businesses because mm-hmm. big corporations don't have the best interests of their customers in mind. They're only there I mean they're there to make money, which all yep. businesses are there to make money. But only people that but it's like
2: they're they're preying on the people that aren't really paying attention, anyways. I think that's mm-hmm. the other part
1: of this marketing is that they're 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 preying they're. Yeah, they're preying on the people who they see their name brand and they go they go to that name brand. They don't they're not tied into the, the, the culture war anyways. Mm-hmm. They're they're tied into that. Now I think that that's why you didn't see much with Alta, you didn't see as much with Nike, but you saw it with Bud Light because Bud Light's target market is not you know the LGBT community. It's it's you know redneck <laughs> you know men who like sports. And it was like just flying right in the face of that, and they're like, "Where's this?" Even if you're not paying attention, you see that you're like, "Where's this? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't representative of me." But actually, the, the uh, Bud Light, you see the, the VP of marketing for for Bud Light, um, her statement on a on a podcast though, when it came to it was it, the podcast had aired like the weekend before this. And she said something like representation is the key to evolution. And so mm-hmm. it kind of, her mind is, but what was really interesting about the whole interview was that she was talking about women. She's a big women's advocate. And I'm like, and then you do something like that. And you promote Del Mulvaney who perpetuates stereotypes of yep. women all over the place.
0: Yeah. Ditzy. <laughs> and I didn't make any sense yep.
1: because she is a huge advocate for women. Like she starts like her organizations that she has started is about like women and their stuff, and I, and then she said it a lot, and then I'm like, I want to ask this woman what she thinks a woman is. You
0: know? <laughs> well, you just blown my mind with the vanguard stuff, and this is what this is what makes people like you and I sound crazy when you first start waking up, because there's so many pieces. You're like, oh, the health measures, and then like the trans agenda, and wokeism, and Marxism, and SEL, and. All of a sudden, like, it's like that meme with the guy on the drawing board and, like, all these strings. But it was, it everything ties.
2: <laughs>
0: yes, but that's a, it's such an accurate meme because when you actually understand yeah. history, when you actually look things up outside of mainstream media, when you look at the UN agreements, when you read what the World Economic Forum is putting out, they tell you exactly what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's all just right there. And most people, if you're listening to this and you disagree with me, you're lazy. You're lazy. Go and read something.
1: <laughs> I will tell you what's coming next though. Okay. And this is what people and this is really what's kind of under the radar right now. And so in my in my piece about SEL, because um, this one kind of started waking me even up to SEL and like what it was, is that was at a, conference with No Left Turn Education where I was speaking and when they were talking about LEARN 2025. And it's this agenda, it's, it, it, it takes SEL to ne- another level and it's starting to be implemented across the country too. And so, if you go and look up LEARN 2025, it is even scarier than SEL. Um, but yeah, when I started doing, that, doing research for that piece after I had learned all that, I was like, wait, I looked at Kessel and you see their donors and you see, wait, Zuckerberg Chan Gates Foundation and then you just go and you look at other stuff that those foundations finance too and you start to see like what you already know about like Bill Gates and what he pushed during COVID and then you start seeing that yeah other things that they fund and you're like starting to put you know tie everything together and it is it's exactly I I actually when I started when I was doing research for that I took that Charlie Day meme and was like this is me right now doing like the SEL work I'm like this (laughs) and my friend was like yeah it's like that
0: (laughs) um I need to be in your group text from now on because clearly you're like in the know loop me in
2: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely we we will
0: i'll
2: I'll
1: bring you into the fold because yeah it's so funny because i do like you'll hear me say it all the time well this is where i put my tinfoil hat on (laughs) i did an interview with olivia rondo and my friend maggie anders who they have a show called indoctrinated with fee and i did i did um it's interesting. I did an interview with them the week before the shooting happened, um, and then they brought me in the next week to kind of talk about that. So, and the episodes are airing opposite. So, we did the shooting. The, sh- the video about the shooting happened. It went out that week, and then the next video is going to be per- it's going to be released within the next couple weeks. But we were talking about that. We were like. Um, I actually I think in the, in there they said, Well what do you think this is going on? And I'm like, Well let me put my Timpoil hat on for a second mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it does. It sounds so crazy and when I do interviews like this where I'm even on my YouTube channel, sometimes I I don't know what they're gonna let me put on YouTube or Instagram, you know? It's like I the first episode I actually cut my episode short and finished it on rumble because i know Rumble's not going to censor me that's the only place that i'm like i'm going to end all these live streams on youtube i'm going to end it here because i don't know if they're going to kick me off for for saying this but go to rumble follow me back Mm -hmm. because i can give the raw uncut version of this and and even though i sound like a complete conspiracy theorist at that point
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i have some ideas too about what they're trying to accomplish with the with the shootings. It could have been an accident, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to go to your Rumble channel now to hear the rest of it. <laughs>
1: well, I think it was only the first episode. The only time I've, I've ever had to do that once, and it was on the very first um, episode. Everything else is on my YouTube channel, but... Okay. <laughs> Rumble's That's the better place to be, because if I get kicked off on of YouTube, mm-hmm. everything's going to be over there anyways. So... <laughs>
0: Sarah I want to respect your time here today what what do you think is the best way to move forward to move forward so that people who are in the trans and gay community feel love and respected so that kids get the right knowledge that they need without going into cuckoo land or having the pendulum swing into um like something out of the handmaid's tale what what do you think yeah. is the right way forward?
1: Well, like I said, I think we have to present arguments based in fact and reality and understand that um, no matter what side of the aisle that you're pushing, you're, you know, you're looking at it on is one is we should be able, we should be looking to protect children. So that's first and foremost. If children are around, you know, sexually explicit stuff or they are, you know, taking you know, they're getting elective procedures and taking irreversible Mm -hmm. surgeries, that should not be a partisan issue. That should be a bipartisan issue. Mm -hmm. And we need to have those conversations. Um, You know, I think especially we need to start, again, talking to each other more. Um, Like, I respect, um, if you saw yesterday, the Michael Knowles and the Brad Palumbo debate, um, I was disappointed that Deirdre McCloskey dropped out of that debate because I think she would have done well. I think that she would have done well to present the point of rational trans people. Um, But I think Brad is a great person when it comes to debating. I don't like debates myself. I think that debates are about winning and losing. And Uh there's really, there's some good that can happen because that, you know, it shuts down bad ideas get shut down by good ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's we should be encouraging that more over than the violence and protesting that we're seeing. But like when it comes to a lot of these issues, I think, you know, I disagree with a lot of people on the right about stuff. But I think the stuff that we disagree on, we can actually sit
2: down and have a conversation. And work on solutions together. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would just
1: inc- I think that the solution is to bring instead of demonizing an entire group of people based on the actions of a few, um, because that's never been acceptable. So I don't know why it's acceptable for people to do right now. Like the whole "I'm done being nice to trans people." That is mm-hmm. never been acceptable when it comes to an entire group of people. So yeah, why is it why is it acceptable now? Yeah, um, and I think that it shuts down conversation. That only further divides us. And what we should, instead of, you know, shutting down conversation, we need to be having the conversations like we're having now and and saying, you know, we disagree on this. And, you know, but there's probably a solution that we're not even talking about. So why don't we talk, see where we can come up with, you know, maybe some unique solutions that people aren't even talking about because right now we're getting either banning or promoted full stop there is no in between mm-hmm. and there's the solution is going to come somewhere in between. So if, you know, just let the extremes do their thing, they're not going to come to the center anyways, but the people that live in reality
2: mm-hmm.
1: like you and me and everybody else, like talk to people like me, like if you disagree with me on something, we can have a conversation, a similar conversation. Let's mm-hmm. see where we can come up with a solution. But it also requires everybody kind of coming to the table with an open mind that you're not going to agree on something. I think that's part of the issue that we see as a society is we're not open to new ideas. It's either I'm right and you're wrong and I'm not moving my position at all. I'm not, you know, we're not coming to the table with an open mind. I think that's where where it's it's going to take for us to, um, to move the needle. And I think if people that disagree on quite a bit of stuff, um, Can come together on different stuff. I think that we can. We can. That's that's what's going to ultimately fix this. What people don't realize is so much stuff gets pushed online. But even the politicians and state legislators, they're not. They don't even know. They don't are not tied in to really what's going on. I learned that this last legislative session. Like I know, like in Georgia, they were not even wanting to really go down the route of passing this legislation and when i talked to some of the legislators i could tell that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about when it comes to this they're Mm -hmm. they're literally going off of the narrative that's being put in front of them either by their staff by activists or just based off of what media is saying about stuff um read bills when you see something that doesn't make sense read the bill and that's what i started doing like i saw vice news actually double down on a lie about a a bill in Florida this morning. They doubled down on it where they contradict in one article, they contradicted themselves in the same paragraph. They basically fact checked themselves in the same paragraph where they said that Florida is banning insurance <coughs> providers from providing uh, care for, for trans adults. And, with the, and then in the same thing, they, they wrote the language from the bill, like the copy and pasted from the bill where it says insurance insurance companies may not provide care for adults. And if you know how legal speak works, the difference between may and shall is the difference between a ban and an option. Yep. And so they are giving insurance companies the option, and yet their, Vice News is still promoting it as this is a ban, even though they fact-checked themselves in an earlier article, but in the same paragraph.
0: Yeah, it was like so the, the, the don't bill. say gay bill, right? Because
1: they're, they're, the, <laughs> what you're getting from the media is, is a perception of a bill that's never...
2: I've not seen one case to where the media portrayed the bill accurately. <laughs> you
1: know? mm. like, even the drag bill in Tennessee does not do anything for trans people. It does not harm trans people. It's literally talking about performances by people dressed in drag not being allowed around children, but it can be, it, it, ha, it is dedicated to a nightclub or a space that's 18 and over, just like any um, cabaret or, you know, strip shirt, shirt, shirt club. That yeah. is what the bill says. So it's, it just read the bills. <laughs> and then, and then and then understand, yeah, that the media is not pushing the narrative. So you have to, you know, change, it, it's, it's really going to come from small independent media um, that's going to change the world at this point,
0: I think. Well, and we're in a pickle, both Canada and the U.S. Um, in terms of that, in terms of free speech, it's very scary um, what's happening, which is why I'm I'm more committed than ever uh, to get on the podcast, get people in my private communities because um, it could disappear any day, my ability to speak. You, you know, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... And you guys, I mean, I think Canada is like five years ahead of the U.S. usually. Um, and so it is. It's really scary watching what's happening there, what's happening around the world where people are, yeah, government is showing up to your house because you said something people don't like online. It's, uh, that's scary. That is Orwellian. That is um it's, it's, it's an issue.
0: You guys are ahead of us in the grooming in the schools, mm-hmm. but we're way ahead of you with the communism, like, light
1: years. Well, that's what happens around the world, too. Is it's like, we're usually the last to go over in different areas, but that's, it's like in terms of like the grooming of children or the medicalization of children, the mm-hmm. U.S. was the last to start doing it, and now we're the mm-hmm. last to stop doing it because, um, when it comes like England and Sweden, like the, the, the people that created the Dutch model have completely switched their position on it and said that the Dutch model was never supposed to be used this way. And yet the mm. U S still like our, our leaders still
2: won't go realize
1: that every other country around the world is doing this. And it's not just, it's not just Democrats. I had a Republican who was a doctor Tell me that people who are blackers are fully reversible. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking
0: about. <laughs> so. No, I mean that's that's terrifying too, right? To to have censorship like this while simultaneously watching what's happening in medicine and in law. The people saying yes to certain bills aren't even reading the bills. The people that are passing down medical laws, they have no idea. Like in Canada they yeah. just mandated Four shots for nurses in BC because you're a danger if you're unvaccinated.
1: Yeah, yeah. What I a know. joke! I mean, um, well, and that's why I said the, the the attorney general in Missouri. Not only do I think he went too far, but he did it unilaterally. I, that is a huge issue when you don't even have to pass it through the legislature um, and get it signed into law, and you literally are able to do it. You like take people's like. Take this option away, like bodily autonomy, away from adults, just by unilaterally. Which I think mm-hmm. that that will be challenged. It's going to be overturned via the Fourteenth Amendment. But still, we don't know because the courts have gone very extreme. We have, you know, the woke soros back DAs, and when we have uh, the 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 Republican DA, you know, DAs that want to charge. You know the other side simply for retaliation, and so it's like we are now seeing a fight in our court system, which was the last bastion of you know sanity that was supposed to protect us against this. You know, it was supposed to be
0: non political, and now we're seeing it become very political and very partisan. Yep. Well, I said I was going to respect your time, and then I kept talking to you because I'm just enjoying (laughs) it. But um... it's funny; I can I can talk all day. (laughs) Me too. Um, but I really appreciate your time. Um, I would love to stay in touch. I would love to be on your circle of texts. Can you tell people where they can find you? Like I'm looking at your website right now. You have Substack and podcasts and YouTube and Rumble. There's what, what's the yeah. easiest touch point for you?
1: So that's, I mean, you're in the, the spot where I think everybody, should go to find me is my website which is just sarahigdon.com because that there is the links page on there which has i'm i'm everywhere but the places i'm at the most is like my videos are posted on youtube and rumble um which is just youtube.com slash sarahigdon and then instagram and twitter which are both just sarahigdon with an underscore after it And, um, yeah, and if you see on there, too, I have all my my op-eds that I've written are on my website. Um, All the the freelance writing that I did for the post-millennial is on there now, too. Um, But, I mean, that's the other thing. I I started writing um, for the post-millennial. So if you go on the post-millennial and you click on my name, you see I've written a lot more than just those articles because I'm working on, I'll be writing on the weekends for them. So.
0: Okay. Um,
1: but yeah, check them out. Human Events is great. They're both um, under the same same organization. But thank you so much for having me on this. Was, this was a fun conversation. And obviously, like I said, I could I could talk about this stuff all day.
0: <laughs> I'm so happy you're awake. Whenever you meet another awake person, too, you're like, ah, soul fam. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that's I think what it what, especially when it comes to our community, when it comes to mm-hmm. you know, you push. I think anybody who's out there elevate trans people who you see, you know, speaking against this stuff because it is imperative. Our mm-hmm. voices I think our voices are, are key. Like I said, gays against rumors. It was key to ending
2: the grooming when it came to like the drug shows, and everything like that in within the gay community. Mm-hmm. But the trans
1: community is going to be imper- is imperative to stop, you know, the medicalization of children because it's being done in our name. Yeah. And so anytime you guys see trans people out mm-hmm. there that are speaking with common sense, elevate their voices. I think that's how we you know, we, I don't think that the right gives the platform... I mean, they're the only ones that will platform us, but it's hard to gain
2: traction um, on a lot of these platforms yeah. because it's like, if we don't...
1: Um, because we're not necessarily conservative, you know, some very socially conservative people aren't going to support us either way, but we're going to be the ones that are going to... You know, you're going to want to at least ally with us to... You know stop the medicalization of children once we stop that then we can fight about other stuff yep. but let's stop that
0: first it's and it's so easy to find the people that we should be listening to like in this crazy world how do you know who's speaking the truth mm-hmm. they talk like this they're not unhinged they're not on the street yelling and screaming and violent and burning things down and hurting other people and hurting kids they're able to have a calm and rational conversation because they're rooted in the truth. And when you ask them to prove themselves, they're able to do that without name-calling, yeah. with facts and evidence. Like, it, it's so easy yeah. to see the, the people that are violent and screaming and who cancel people. It's because they don't actually have an argument.
1: Yeah, I did, I did an interview yesterday. What was you yesterday? I don't know, I flew yesterday. No, it's Monday. <laughs> my days are a little bit mixed up because I was traveling, I visiting family, but um, I didn't interview the other day for an article that's going to be published um, here. Person, I'll start advertising it. But um, I said the same thing. I'd said the same thing on my YouTube ch- channel when the whole when the we- when the let women speak stuff happened in New York, and then again with the stuff that happened in the rally Gaines last week. It's like I believe in free speech. I believe that. You know, bad ideas only go in the dark to grow. You know, you, the only disinfectant is light. And so I believe in free speech. I believe that, you know, even if I disagree with you, you should have the right to say something. And you don't gain acceptance by, you know, by the barrel of a gun. It doesn't happen that way. You yeah. know, the, 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 the threat of violence does not gain you acceptance. It only hurts your cause. Um, and so those people that's all they're doing is you know, that are perpetuating the violence is only hurting us and it goes back to what I said. It's like I may disagree with Riley Gaines on some stuff. I think we agree on most stuff, especially when it comes to like trans women and women's sports I don't agree with um, Mm -hmm. trans women and women's sports just like Riley so we can agree on that and then like I said work together for common solutions Mm -hmm. for stuff for all the other stuff that we disagree on which I don't even know what we disagree on right now off the top of my head but that's how we create solutions
0: Yeah, 100% Well, everyone on this live, um, go over and follow Sarah. Um, I'm excited to dive into some of the pieces that you've written because you're so well-spoken, you're a joy to talk with. Thank you for taking this time with us.
1: Yeah, thank you. This was awesome. I I had fun.
0: Well, I'll be sending you awake articles on Instagram now, so I'm (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. good. (laughs) Awesome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye. Okay, friends, I hope you liked our episode today. Um, I apologize, the audio is not as good when we do it this way, but I also really like the opportunity to take you guys with me live so that you can be present for these conversations. I know getting to meet people from the trans community is something new for a lot of this community. And I think what, there are so many things that Sarah touched on that's really, really important, but what I want to emphasize is we need to amplify the voices of people like Sarah because the world is getting really polarized and with the things that we see on social media, sometimes we end up in a place that's not actually based in truth now the voices that the news and the woke left and social media, the voices that they're amplifying, are lunatics. These people are unhinged. They're radical activists. They're clearly mentally unstable, and they do not represent the queer community. They are not good represent uh, good representations of the trans community. People like Sarah are <laughs> reasonable. Good human beings. So I hope that you found yourself in a softer place in the middle of this inflammatory agenda that's going on. Um, if you like what we're doing over here on Sense Making, please consider uh, sharing this episode. Um, I love the work that Gays Against Groomers are doing. Please support their work. Uh, they sell t shirts online. Um, Please support Sarah's work. She's an amazing speaker, an amazing writer, and the work that she's doing is really hard. It takes a certain kind of person, someone that's very brave, very rooted in reality, to be able to stand up to lunatics like the kind that we're seeing on Instagram these days. So, very, very grateful to be able to have the opportunity to have this show and get to meet people like Sarah. And you can expect more sense makers just like Sarah to be on the show this season. Um, let me know your feedback guys on the, on the live podcast. I know the audio is not going to be quite as good, but also you get to join me on Instagram live with our guests, which is something kind of special too. Uh, let me know if you learn something Let me know uh, what you'd like more of on the show. I love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for your support, for your messages. Now, if you're looking for more support in this clown world, consider joining my private community, The Sovereign. I created The Sovereign to support you in a world gone wild so that you get out of the fear, out of the doom and gloom, and into community that actually moves you forward Guys, I'm a coach. The podcast is something that I honestly just do for fun. I'm a transformational life and business coach. Not everyone is able to invest in themselves in a one-on-one container, and that's why I made The Sovereign. I show up live three times a week to coach you in life, business, on your mindset, and I bring in not only sense makers, but sovereign experts into the space each and every month. To talk to you about everything from health, wealth, and inflation proof savings, food security, building businesses, getting out of the matrix, how to be healthier. Um, also, because I'm super ADHD and I can't stop giving and creating, we also have an epic online wellness studio. You get everything in the sovereign it's literally the only membership that you need in 2023 health wealth and sovereign skills plus the people that are in that community where we interact and get together each and every week they're pretty rad humans they're awake but they're forward thinking nobody in there is doom and gloom everybody's super elevated everyone is focused on moving forward Personally, those are the kind of people that I want to be surrounded by right now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Um, Share it if you gain something from this. This season, guys, is going to be lit. I can't wait um, to show you all the guests that are coming down the pipeline here. So thanks again. Love you guys. Thank you for your support. Um, Yeah, I couldn't do this without you. We'll see you guys next time.